Hi, welcome back to Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper. I hope you're all having a nice week right here, smack dab in the middle of March, my potentially my favorite month. Uh, I hope you had a nice, fun St. Patrick's Day and were able to celebrate safely. And I hope you are looking forward to today's episode. We are going to be discussing Jethro Tull's Aqualung album, which turns 50 today if you are listening on release day, March 19th. It was released March 19th, 1971. As this is my first Jethro Tull album, I'll give you a little bit of background into my journey with them, as is my practice. I kind of have a more contrived backstory with them than with any of the artists that I've discussed so far. I heard a live version of Locomotive Breath, which is on the Aqualung album, on the radio at some point and liked it but forgot to investigate further. And then uh, maybe two or three years later, I had come across their name consistently enough in rock circles and in publications that I would read, whether it was ranking greatest artists or greatest albums and things of that nature, that I thought, you know what, I need to check these guys out. So I looked up a list ranking their albums to know where to start, and I never really got past Aqualung and Thick as a Brick, which were ranked one and two on the list that I found. I also listened to Songs of the Wood, which came out a few years after Aqualung and Thick as a Brick, but I honestly don't remember much of it. So I know far less about them and their music than any other artist that I've discussed on the show thus far, which is both exciting and nerve-wracking because I want to do them and this album justice on its 50th anniversary, and I'm not entirely sure how much of value I will be able to add to the discourse surrounding this album uh, compared to some other topics that we cover, but we're going to give it a go. So, Aqualung, released March 19th, 1971, as I mentioned. It's Jethro Tull's biggest-selling album with over 7 million units sold. I'm not sure how up-to-date that figure is. It was inspired at least in part by some homeless men that Ian Anderson, uh, their lead singer and flautist, and his wife observed along the Thames Embankment in London, leading to the painting of one such individual which you find on the album's cover. Aqualung was recorded at Island Records' new studio in London, which was a converted church at the same time that Led Zeppelin were recording Led Zeppelin IV there, which had of course been started at Headley Grange, the uh, old mansion in the English countryside. Ian Anderson mentions in an interview that he gave for the 25th anniversary of Aqualung, which you can find in the special edition of the album, uh, he says that Zeppelin had booked it first, so they were able to choose the smaller room, which was preferable, and he talks about how Jethro Tull found it very difficult to hear themselves properly while recording in the big room, uh, which had been the sanctuary when the building was a church, so it was better suited to recording orchestral pieces uh, as opposed to a rock band. Because of this, Anderson expresses some bemusement at the notion of Aqualung being their best or most popular album because he thinks it's a good album but was never fully satisfied with the results. However, despite Anderson's 
uh, perhaps not lukewarm, but uh, reservations about it being considered far and away their seminal work, uh, Aqualung is highly respected by most critics and fans. It's also touted as one of the seminal works in the concept album subgenre, which the band have always been adamant that it was not. In fact, they made their next album, Thick as a Brick, uh, which came out in 1972, the following year, as a deliberately over-the-top, almost farcical concept album, as if to say, you thought that was a concept album? No, we'll show you a concept album. I see Aqualung as fairly influential on what would soon become heavy metal, with the nature of its riffs and arrangements, as well as some of its subject matter. Also, just the fact that Anderson's flute gives it a kind of medieval feel, and lots of metal acts incorporate some of that, uh, both lyrical imagery and uh, sonic elements, uh, or they go with uh, Baroque and classical uh, nods and influences. So, uh, I think that's about it for the introduction. First, I will go track by track with sort of detailed observations of each song, and then I'll give you some general thoughts about the album, talk about where I see it fitting into uh, Jethro Tull's catalog as a whole, and then also uh, how I would rate it and where I th think it fits in the rock canon in general, since this is a 50th anniversary episode, and that's an anniversary that often makes you think about uh, matters of legacy. And as I said, I'm far less familiar with them than anyone that I've discussed so far, so my observations may be shallower, and for that I'm sorry. I will do my best to do this great album justice. I'm sorry for any background noise you may hear, by the way. I really should stop recording on Thursdays. The number of times that the garbage truck comes by while I'm recording is truly astonishing. So Aqualung opens with the title track. The opening riff is uh, kind of in smoke on the water territory as far as riffs abandoned guitar stores everywhere because it's one that so many beginners learn, uh, but it's rightly... Uh, widely played. It's a really great riff. Uh, cool bass line as well, and a great guitar solo. I love the semi-flammed toms, uh, which are separated between the two channels with the stereo panning uh, during the part with the main riff. I think that part's really cool. Um, and as far as the lyrics on the title track, uh, it's a very clever commentary on the way that we judge the homeless in particular and project malicious intent on them. You know, it opens with the line, sitting on a park bench, eyeing little girls with bad intent. And at first it seems to be describing an ephebophile, which is the sexual preference for post-pubescent uh, youth, so like 15 to 19, not uh, pedophilia, which is more widely known. Uh, and the character in question could well be one, an ephebophile that is, but the bigger point is how that gets projected onto him by the person observing him who really doesn't know a thing about him. And then track two is Cross-Eyed Mary, which opens with some great flute work from Anderson and has another great guitar riff, uh, cool flute and guitar solos as well, and some great 
work from the rhythm section on this one, featuring some Keith Moon-esque drum fills. And uh, it's a very catchy tale about a schoolgirl prostitute. And in the lyrics, it talks about her interacting with Aqualung. So perhaps he is an aphibophile. But the point of Aqualung is that it wasn't fair for the bystander to assume that without knowing anything about him. Then the third song is Cheap Day Return, which is a brief, pretty contemplative acoustic number which finds Anderson waiting on a train platform after visiting his sick father, wondering whether or not the nurses are treating him well or tolerating and taking advantage of him due to his famous son. And then track four is Mother Goose, which sounds very medieval with its hand drum percussion, acoustic guitars, and flute, and it has some nice electric riffs in there as well. Uh, fitting that it sounds so medieval as it's narrated by a boy skipping school to attend a fair. Track 5 is Wondering Aloud, which is another sweet acoustic number, this time featuring strings and keys. Uh, it describes a night of lovemaking that runs into the morning and finds the narrator wondering aloud if it'll be more than that. I quite like this one. Track 6 is Up to Me, which has a great flute riff that is echoed by the acoustic guitars and the bass. And the line, leave you in a wimpy bar, refers to a South African burger chain that's popular in the UK. I had a burger there when I was in England in 2003, and it was awful. And then side two opens up with My God. It's uh, carried by the acoustic guitar, has a great flute solo featuring a call and response between the flute and a medieval sounding church choir and also a recorder. That part's pretty neat. It also has some blistering guitars towards the end. Lyrically, it's a clever, stinging takedown of organized religion and its hypocrisies. It's not actually anti-God at all and I have no issues with its lyrics as a born-again Christian myself, uh, calling the church out for being insular, hypocritical, and preoccupied with pomp and circumstance over substance is more uh, what it's getting at, and really Jesus did that himself when he was here, so I don't think there's anything wrong with the lyrics on My God at all, and it's a uh, very good and clever song. Track 8 is Hymn 43, which is a really a rollicking good time musically. Great riffing by the guitars and bass, especially the muted riffing. Uh, wild drums throughout, and great piano and flute as well. Lyrically, this one could be seen as a bit more irreverent, but it's making a similar point. Uh, this time going after people who twist the Bible and their Christianity to justify their violence and greed and racism and all of that sort of stuff. Track 9 is Slipstream, which is another brief acoustic number uh, kind of bridging the longer songs together and features more string accompaniment. The meaning of this one is a bit less clear to me, I must admit. Track 10 is Locomotive Breath, which begins with a great piano intro and then has more great riff-based hard rock after the intro and another great flute solo. Lyrically, it's about the relentless encroachment of urbanization upon nature and population expansion in general. And then the album wraps up with the song Wind Up, which starts and ends with a pretty piano phrase, 
and then has yet more great riffs and another groovy bass line. Some nice upbeat crashes from the drums throughout the guitar solo, which I particularly appreciated. Lyrically, it's basically a criticism of Christians who go through the motions of religion, thinking that adherence to protocols is what it's all about, and who wind God up on Sundays and then put him back in a box until the next Sunday. It kind of throws the baby out with the bathwater by concluding that because of this, God himself is unnecessary, but it still makes some good points. Okay, so those are my track-by-track thoughts now for some general observations about Aqualung. I think it has some very intricate and interesting playing, and not just because Ian Anderson's flute is the lead instrument on many of the songs. Uh, When Spencer was on here last week talking about the Allman Brothers at Fillmore East live album, he talked about how Dwayne Allman's slide playing is really the fingerprint of their music and the signature element that it both catches your ear and distinguishes them from other bands that play otherwise kind of similar stuff. Uh, you can also liken it to Rayman's Eric's keyboards with the doors and how once you hear him on that Vox Continental or even later with the Fender Rhodes, you immediately know who it is because it's such a striking feature compared to most other rock bands. And Anderson's flute with Jethro Tull is certainly one of the prime examples of that sort of phenomena. But my point is, even beyond that unique fingerprint of his flute playing, the playing is very interesting. And a lot of the genres and subgenres that were spawned by Aqualung and Jethro Tull in general and similar albums and artists, uh, produced very intricate music that wasn't all that interesting, in my opinion, in the case of a lot of heavy metal and that sort of thing. Uh, But that's not the case here. It's both intricate and interesting. I think this album has great flow. I won't disagree with the band themselves when they say it's not a concept album, but I do think it's very well stitched together as far as thematic linkages in the lyrics and a nice cohesive sonic palette. I don't think they helped themselves with uh, not wanting it to be thought of as a concept album by giving each side a name. Side one is the Aqualung side and side two is the My God side. Uh, When you have that plus a few songs where there are characters interacting with each other, people are bound to end up viewing it that way to a certain extent. And lyrically, I think Aqualung has some great messages that are still relevant today, 50 years after its release, with its musings on rash and wrong assumptions of others' nature and motives, the difference between religion and relationship with the Lord, token Christianity, etc. As far as placing Aqualung within Jethro Tull's catalog, I've only heard it Thick as a Brick, and Songs of the Wood. As I said, I don't remember Songs of the Wood at all. It's on my list for uh, re-listening once uh, my concert listening schedule eases up, uh, along with the rest of their discography for that matter. I do prefer Thick as a Brick to Aqualung. Uh, Its lyrics are so deep and complex you could analyze them for hours, which may not be everyone's cup of tea, which uh, could be why Aqualung is more popular because it's a bit more easily digestible. Um, 
not that Aqualung's lyrics and all of that aren't deep and complex, uh, just went to another level with Thick as a Brick. Also, I think Thick as a Brick's instrumentation is more impressive in the sense that it's basically one giant through composed piece. Like there's no track listing dividing it into different songs. It's just side one is Thick as a Brick part one and side two is Thick as a Brick part two. I have gained a new appreciation for Aqualung through this deep dive though, so I should re-listen to Thick as a Brick under the same sort of microscope to confirm my preference for it. I will do an episode for its 50th anniversary next year. As far as scoring Aqualung and placing it in rock or music in general's canon, I would probably score it somewhere between a 3.5 and a 4. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I would have to look at where I have some other albums that I've scored so far, like particularly the Zeppelin and Beatles ones, because uh, I have sort of an idea of which ones I wouldn't put it ahead of, and I'm, I try to keep the uh, uh, goalposts the same across all artists, so I'll have to uh, check that. But yeah, I think I would put it somewhere between a 3.5 and a 4. I think it's a great album and a very unique one. Amazingly, though, it would be in stiff competition to make my top five albums of 1971, which was an incredible year for music and produced a lot of albums that I will also be talking about for their 50th anniversaries in the coming uh, months, namely L.A. Woman by The Doors, Sticky Fingers by The Rolling Stones, uh, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, Who's Next by The Who, and of course Led Zeppelin IV by Led Zeppelin. Uh, that's going in chronological order for the other ones I'll be talking about for their 50th anniversary so far. Um, I know Elton John's Madman Across the Water came out in 71 too. I'll have to check what date that came out. Maybe we'll do an episode about it as well. So I think that pretty well brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, sorry, it's a shorter one to those of you hardcore Jethro Tull fans who may listen. Uh, as I said, I'm just not as well-versed in their stuff to be able to dive really, really deep. And I'm sorry about that, but I felt that it deserved a 50th anniversary episode nonetheless. I really enjoy this album, and I think you all should give it a listen for its 50th anniversary, and you may find that Jethro Tull are a band that you would like to integrate into your listening catalog as well. So, if you have been listening for some time now, you are aware that I am selling Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper t-shirts for $40 Canadian, or two for 70 and I also started making Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper hoodies, uh, currently a limited edition of three, but I could be persuaded to make some more if enough of you are interested. So if either of those items of merchandise interest you, please reach out to me via email, rocktalk.dr.cropper or on Instagram, or sorry, rocktalk.dr.cropper at gmail.com or on Instagram at rocktalk.dr.cropper or on Facebook or LinkedIn, Rock Talk with Dr. Cropper, and I would be delighted to facilitate you getting some merchandise. If you are not, or whether or not you are interested in merchandise at this time, I encourage you to follow the show 
at any and all of those social media platforms so that you can be kept abreast of all the latest developments pertaining to the show. Also, if you feel so inclined to leave a rating and review with the streaming platform that you listen to the show on, those are very helpful to me. Also, if you have more specific or detailed feedback that you wish to give me or questions or topics that you want me to cover, uh, feel free to reach out to me on any of those uh, or through any of those avenues and I would uh, be more than happy to chat and see if we can't accommodate uh, whatever requests you may have. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, To the loyal listeners, thank you for sticking around, and to the new ones, welcome, and I hope you enjoy what you hear on the show. So today was a shorter episode, which is okay, because I knew next week would not be short, Uh, I'm very excited for next week. I think it's going to be the episode to end all episodes thus far, at least. I'm going to be ranking every 1975 version of No Quarter. Uh, It's one of my favorite live Zeppelin songs, uh, probably second only to Dazed and Confused. And I think the 1975 versions are particularly interesting to hear how much it was evolving night to night. And, uh, since I already covered the 75 tour as far as ranking the complete shows uh, way back in episode three, I figured when I'm listening through the shows this year uh, on their anniversaries as I do January through March, I thought, well, I'd really love to be able to talk about it again. What else could I cover? And I thought, well, I'll dig a little deeper and rank uh, each version of one particular song and no quarter was the obvious choice. So I've been making detailed notes about each one as I listen, and I can't wait to dive into it with you next week. In the meantime, stay safe and sane, have a great week, and I will see you then. Class dismissed.